Hi, I'm Caleb. I'm Isaac. And I'm Ryan, and we are the King's Advocate Podcast. Um, today, what our topic is going to be is uh, something that I think is, is very important and something that's very, um, it's, it should be something that we, uh, that is more known in the church, I feel like. It's women. Yes, it's women. I was <laughs> going to qualify a lot of that. But uh, we are three guys who are just... Who are not women. <laughs> yes. We are not experts. We're not experts on this matter specifically. But uh, I wanted to talk about it because I feel like a lot of the times, a lot of the women that I know, a lot of the girls that I know in the church, they, they feel like that their role is just isn't as important as, as men's role. And, and that's, that's just not true. And I wanted to bring a couple examples, and I wanted for us to to examine a few stories that are, uh, you know, some famous, some not as famous, but they really show that God used women for very important parts of, of his plan throughout history, just as much as he used uh, men as very important parts of his plan throughout history. Because even as guys, we have things to learn from these stories and from these women. I mean, it's not just women, you know, it, it there's something for everyone to learn, uh, even men in this matter. So that's why we decided it would be appropriate for us to talk about it. So the first story that I wanted to talk about was a, an Old Testament story, and it's about a woman named Deborah. She's in um, Judges 4, 4 through 6, and we're going to read Judges 4, 4 through 6 real quick. It's just a short little couple verses, and, and her story is a little bit more than this, obviously. But um, in Judges 4, 4 through 6, it says, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtaliah, and said to him, Has not the Lord... Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtalia and the people of Zebulun? Um, so Deborah was uh, a judge of Israel, actually. She was the only female judge of, of Israel, but that was a position that was... <clears throat> that was a position that was primarily held by men and predominantly held by men, but here was a woman who who held that position and... As you read throughout this story, she actually is like one of the people, one of the generals almost, who goes out and and uh, helps Israel with this war. God commanded uh, them to go to war with this people, and Deborah went with them and and was part of that uh, was part of that war. was was one of the leaders, was one of the almost like the generals. So God used women throughout uh, in the past to do things that were like, I mean very very important like being being a leader of 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 an army and being a leader of in in a war I mean, if anyone's confused on what a judge is this was before israel had kings uh so the only government in control was god it was it was a nation completely run by god it was the only one in history uh only nation in history to ever be run by a deity only and judges were people that god set up to be his not executioners, that's not the right word, but his, you know, wh whatever he enforcers. commanded. Yeah, enforcement. 
uh, they would be the ones that would tell people, hey, this is what God wants us to do. Uh, this is where God wants us to go. They were the messengers, basically, of their king, which was God. So they were kind of like second in command to Israel, kind of. And it's, again, as Ryan said, mostly men took these roles. But in this case, Deborah took that role. So she was basically like the the uh, most uh, influential human at the time. And God was the only one above her, which is really, really interesting uh, within that democracy. Or not democracy, <clears throat> but within that government. Yeah, and, and she... Um she wasn't the only one who played like a really, really big part in making sure that Israel stayed on track. And another woman was uh, Esther. And she, I mean, she basically made sure that the children of Israel didn't disappear. She was in, she was very, very, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? And, uh, crucial? Yeah, crucial. She was crucial to the children of Israel, like continuing to exist almost because uh, they were suffering a lot of persecution and she was married to the king, and uh, she risked her life multiple times to go to the king and ask him to to stop, you know, persecuting the Jews and to have mercy on them. And and uh, she was successful in that because God was with her. But God used Esther and He used Deborah as two women who were, you know, who you know people may may think that that a lot of a lot of I feel like female Christians think that women aren't used to for doing to do important things but here were two women who did some of the most important things that that we read about some of the the very very famous stories that we read about especially Esther is, is a little bit more famous than than Deborah but we can uh but you can find Esther's story all throughout the book of Esther but that's probably why it's more famous than Deborah <laughs> it's also probably why it's called Esther <laughs> yeah <laughs> book of Deborah huh? <laughs> there's not one and uh We'll we'll go we'll go ahead and read Esther's um, just just a snippet of her story in Esther eight one through six. And it says, "On that day did the king Ahasuerus give the house of Haman the Jews' enemy unto Esther the queen, and Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was unto her. And the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it unto Mordecai. And Esther sent Mordecai over the house of Haman, and Esther spake yet again before the king, and fell down at his feet, and besought him with tears to put away the mischief of Haman the Agagite, and his device that he had devised against the Jews. Then the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther, so Esther arose and stood before the king. Um, the king holding out the golden scepter was when somebody entered the courts, and they hadn't been invited. If the king didn't raise the golden scepter, then they were killed. Uh, but if the king raised the scepter, they were allowed to live and, and approach him. Uh, continuing in verse 5, it says, and, it, and said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seem right before the king, and I be pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews, which are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that shall come unto my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? Then the king Ahasuerus said unto Esther, the queen, and to Mordecai, the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and him they have hanged upon the gallows, because he laid his hand upon the Jews. Write ye also for the Jews as it liketh, as it liketh you in the king's name, and seal it with the king's ring. For the writing which is written in the king's name, and sealed with the king's ring, may no man reverse. So Esther was successful. She, she helped 
she helped save the 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 children of Israel from from being destroyed by King Ahasuerus, and God used her in that situation. And and she she didn't you know talk about how unworthy she was or how incapable or incapable she was to do it. She she obeyed uh, she obeyed God's will and and. In, in the process of that, she helped save the children of Israel. Yeah, just like you said earlier, she risked her life several times because, like you said, if the king didn't want her there when she walked in, he could have her killed on the spot. And it just so happened that he loved her enough that that he wanted her to stay alive. And it's interesting that she even went against Haman, who was like, I believe he was the right-hand man to the king. And Haman's the one who kind of... He came up with the scheme to get rid of the Jews if he didn't like them. And he decided he wanted all the Jews gone, especially Mordecai, and who was actually Esther's cousin, uh, if I remember right. But Esther came to the king and told him, look, these are my people, this is my family, and, Mor- and uh, Haman's trying to kill them. And, and in doing so, eventually they're going to get to me. So... Because of that, because of her relationship with the king, she was able to save all of her people from genocide, basically. <clears throat> because she was brave enough to stand before a guy who could kill her like that. <laughs> um, another, one more Old Testament story that I want to talk about is uh, Abigail. And Abigail was uh, was originally the wife of a man named Nabal. And the reading here in First Samuel 25, which is where it is, is it's a lot of verses. We're not going to read all of it. <clears throat> but it says that she was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance, but Nabal was churlish and evil in his doings. So Nabal was a bad guy, and Abigail was a good woman who, who was wise, <clears throat> but she was married to somebody who was the opposite of that. And uh, He married up. <laughs> yeah, he married up. <laughs> And David was not king at the time. He was very famous and very influential, and he had like 300 or 400 men at his command or, or with him at the time. And he, um, he had stayed with Nabal's uh, shepherds, shepherds and had kept the wolves from them, had kept thieves from them for a period of time. And uh, all that... David asked was that Nabal would feed his men so that they could they could be on their way. Yeah, because he's, he's basically working for him. Yeah. You know, we've kept your flock alive. If it wasn't for us, you wouldn't have as much money as you have now. Can you please at least just feed us? I mean, it's not that unreasonable of a, a request, honestly. And the shepherds, like, backed him up. I mean, they, they, yeah. they said that he had, they had been like a stone wall around him, that, that David and his men had kept him safe. <clears throat> and um, Nabal basically, I mean, he says no, and he adds insult to injury by saying, who's who's the son of David, or who's, uh, who is David of the house of, uh, <laughs> what's his father's name? Jesse. Jesse, yeah. And, you know, rejects him out of hand and then, and then insults him to, to boot. So David's pretty upset, and he's going to go kill everybody in that house. I mean, he's going he's gonna to go kill Nabal. And then all of his servants. There are a few times that David flies off the handle and does something incredibly irrational. This is one of those instances <laughs> that he's just completely insane. 
I don't, when somebody cuts me off in traffic, my yeah. intention is to follow them home. And kill them. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I kind of, I could, I could kind of see why he'd be that angry. I mean, we've we've been out here working for you. You're now so much richer than you would have been without us, and you won't even have the decency to give us a little bit of food. I mean. And I, I even asked politely for it. <laughs> but, I said, please. <laughs> so I could kind of see him c- coming at Nabal like that. I don't know. You can see where the anger comes from. I don't right. know about murdering everybody in his house. Right. That's, that's the part where I'm like, I'm okay, maybe, maybe you're a little bit too far. Angry. He's angry. <laughs> He's angry. <laughs> but, um, but David is he's set to go kill him. And... He's marching towards them, and they all have their swords out of their sheaths and everything. They're they're about to get down to business, and um, one of the servants lets Abigail know what's going on, and Abigail is she's she's a wise woman and she knows what's going to happen, and so she goes and behind her husband's back, I guess. I mean, well, it he was, was drunk. He was drunk, but he um, she prepares a meal. And she prepares all this food for them, <clears throat> and uh, he she brings it out to to David, and she she goes to David, <clears throat> and when she finds him, she like throws herself down. Uh, let me let me find exactly exactly where it is. Yeah, okay. So in First Samuel twenty five and twenty four, it says. Um, and fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. And let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear the words of thine handmaid. Let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, Nabal, for as his, as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, thine handmaid, saw not the young men of my Lord, whom thou didst send. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood, and from avenging thyself with thine own hand, now let thine enemies, and they that seek evil to my Lord, be as Nabal. <clears throat> so, she goes on a little bit further, but she, kind of in that verse, rebukes him very, very lightly, wrapped up in in uh, humility. in humility, and in compliments, and in kindness, and in uh, sacrifice, self-sacrifice, she she tells him, you know, I'm glad that I found you so that you didn't shed innocent blood and avenge yourself, and you know, because let let everybody who let everybody who is against you be as as my my fool husband, basically. What does Nabal mean? Because she said exactly as his name is. That's a good question let me did see. she lie in verse 25 when she was like but i thy handmaiden saw not the young men of my lord whom thou did send or no no she <laughs> i she didn't see them one of them came to her later on and told her that yeah. david's coming they okay. came to nabal this is first. what happened nabal means dolt by the way dolt okay <laughs> so i looked it up on my phone but just to make sure i, I saw it said fool so i mean it's a charming name <laughs> Why did they son. name their son that? They just uh, saw it and they're like, idiot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> name all. <laughs> Maybe that's a name he that's earned as he was growing up. You so know they what? didn't We're name him right away. They're like, you have to earn that. So by the time he's seven, he like drops a pot or something. Idiot! That's your name. Forever. Anyways, uh, so Abigail, she she saves 
Mabel's skin, even though he doesn't really deserve it. But she also saves her own life and everybody else, everybody else's life in uh, her house. All the all the servants, all the all the handmaidens and, and things like that. She saved all of them through her humility, and she kept David from committing a great sin. Which I mean, it, it would have been a great sin had David marched to that house and killed everybody inside. And she mm-hmm. she modeled humility in that, and you can kind of see Christ in her because. She says, let the iniquity be on me. She would rather take the punishment than let everybody back home take the punishment, even though one person in particular back home was, was in the wrong, deserved it. Which he did get a punishment later on, because when he found out what had happened, he just died. <laughs> like, he, he actually, like, I don't know exactly what killed him, but whenever he was told what happened, he fell and he was dead. Well, it says that he, uh, let's see... It's a little bit later on that she goes back and tells him. Oh, verse 37. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. Then it happened after ten days that the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. So for ten days, he's like dead, like brain dead, I guess. Some people think he had a stroke. Oh, that's possible. Wow. Interesting. That's crazy. Ever cared about your food so much that you had a stroke when you learned your wife gave it away? <laughs> I don't think that's what he was upset about. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... Uh, yeah, Nabal was a, a pretty bad guy, and even though even though he deserved, he definitely deserved it, and what Abigail could have done is just hightailed it out of there and been like, I know it's coming, see ya, mm-hmm. and let him die, she wouldn't save them because she was a good... I mean, she was a good wife, even, even though he was a bad husband. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, which they didn't all get to choose their spouses back then. Right. So it could have been just like an arranged thing. And, I mean, God God used her to prevent David from committing a great sin. I mean, uh, David had a lot of problems in his life, but at least he didn't at least he didn't murder this entire household. I mean, that that would have been something that he, he came to regret and that God surely would not have been pleased with. And and God rewards uh, Abigail. He I mean, rewards her by Allowing Nabal to die. I mean, that's that's a, a bit of a grim reward there. But she ends up marrying David, and uh, her life is is certainly b- better than it was. Um, but I think it's interesting that Abigail here, just this simple woman who's just married to this kind of a jerk guy, she is she's a godly enough woman, and she's a righteous woman enough that she influences the chosen one of God, who was a man after God's own heart, who went on to be the king of Israel, who is mentioned throughout countless pages of the Bible, and who, who is the, the, in the lineage of, of Christ. I mean, David is, is like the main guy almost. I mean, it's, it's from Abraham, then to David, then to Christ. And that, I, th- I always think that's interesting that just a simple woman had such a great impact on, on David and, and committed and prevented him from from making a, a terrible, terrible mistake. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so those three women are, are some of the more influential women that I that I wanted to look at in the Old Testament. One of the uh, women that I think is is often talked about is Priscilla in the New Testament. And she's she's a pretty important figure. I think that's the one we hear about most, probably, especially like where we're at, uh, the congregations we attend and the churches we attend. Uh, if anyone brings up the importance of women, they bring up Priscilla for a good reason, because uh, she's very, very important uh, in this passage. Yeah, and she's mentioned a couple times throughout um, 
throughout the New Testament. She's mentioned mm-hmm. in at least at least two letters. But um, in Acts 18 and, and 24, we read about uh, Apollos. It says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. <clears throat> so, uh, this story is oftentimes used to encourage, uh, encourage the women in the church, and as it should be, it's one of the examples that we have of a woman teaching, um, a woman teaching a, a man. And yeah, she she taught him with the help of her husband, but this it says I, I it's I think that um, Apollos is the only man ever called eloquent uh, in the Bible, huh. <clears throat> and this man, even though he was mighty in the scriptures and even though he was eloquent, he needed spirit. He needed he needed Priscilla and and Aquila to help him understand, and they did that. And she helped him to understand the way that God had set forth the church more perfectly, as, as did Aquila. And it's important to note that, like, the only time that God calls women to be silent, the only time that God wants women to be um, not teachers is in the, assemb- excuse me, in the assembly. The assembly is, is the only time. Women are just as important to be evangelistic, to talk to their friends, to talk to the people that they know. To teach people who don't know, uh, don't know God's word, it, women can teach them just as much as as men can teach other men, other men or, or women. But uh, there is an important verse uh, where Timothy is talked about, and Timothy was not taught uh, the scriptures through his father. He was taught through his grandmother and his mother. So that's another case where Timothy, who was an uh, an evangelist. An evangelist was instructed first off by his grandmother and by his mother, two women. And, you know, I don't want to, I don't know. I think it's important to know to know moderation and to know balance. Obviously, men are just as good as teachers. Obviously, women are just as good as teachers. Like, it's not one or the other. We need both. We need both in the workforce. We need both to be fighting to to spread God's word, to be God's servants. Because if, if we don't have women working and being an important cog in the church and doing what they can, whether it's you know teaching or being hospitable or uh, working behind the scenes on programs that, that go on that aren't as, I don't know, quote-unquote famous, I guess you could say, or is in the public eye, if we don't have women doing that, and we're, we're, we lose half our workforce. We lose half of half of what makes us go and uh, it's really important that I think it's really really important that any young ladies or, or older ladies who, who listen to this or who are, are Christians and they want to be you know they want to be useful in the church I think it's so important that they don't diminish their own value that God has given to them and, and told them you are important in in spreading my word you are important in 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 fulfilling my will I mean, you can even go all the way back to Genesis. When God created Eve, he looked at Adam and he said, it is not good that he's alone. Yeah. He needs somebody there. 
and he made the woman and said that he, she was a help meet for him, meaning that she was able to fulfill all the needs that he had. Everything that he needed, she was there to do. It, and it, it was better for them to work together than for one of them to be alone. Yeah. And it's still important today that both of all <clears throat> of us are working together for the cause of Christ, for the church, for each other. Uh, it, it can't just be all the men and it can't just be all the women. It has to be all of us together. I mean, you can go back to even 1 Corinthians when he's talking about the body, uh, when he says, if everything was an eye, where would be the smelling? If everything was this, where would be this? I mean, every body part is essential for the work of the body. It is. And it, it also to qualify all this, yes, God does command in 1 Corinthians and, uh, and in Timothy that women are to keep silent in the assembly. So I don't want anybody to think that I, I we want women teaching in the assembly or, or being or being like a evangelists like you know we have throughout the throughout the church. I mean they're supposed to be evangelistic, but yes, God has given the command that women are to keep silent in the church and to be in submission during the assembly, and they are to submit to their husbands. All of that is true, and all of that can be true, and it also can be true that women are vital to the church, to making the church grow, to being making the church successful. Because with, without, without women, the church would not be successful. If you take away half the body, the body cannot be successful or cannot be as successful as it should be and as God wants it to be. There's a verse. Uh, having, well, you can look at Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And we... We know a lot of those people were men. Uh, they were prophets, apostles. I mean, all the apostles were men. Uh, evangelists, the ones that we know of were men. Pastors and teachers, they had to be men in the assembly. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, saints is everybody else. So what he's telling them is, I gave you all these people to teach all of you to do the work. Not for them to do all of the work, but for them to teach you to do it. Men, women, young, old, we're all supposed to be working. And we've been given pastors, teachers, uh, evangelists, all those things to help us figure out how to do that. But it does take us, all of us, doing the work. Yeah, like you talked about like having different roles and stuff. Um, a lot of time, the women in the assembly do have different roles like uh in the congregation that ryan and i attend right now we're going through a sort of a planning process with our elders and some evangelists to uh, basically increase productivity and increase evangelism and stuff like that and see what we can do better and a lot of the women in our our congregation have stepped up to uh help with uh changing a lot of that and updating a lot of that and yeah I was there's, really, there's I was a really lot impressed. of yeah, a lot of um, women doing a lot of really important work that all helps, you know, the assembly come together and be as best as it can be and, and the most edifying that it can be to uh, to the people there and to new visitors coming in and just all that stuff, you know. And all of it, you know, uh, as our evangelist pointed out, it's all for the glory of God. It's not about having a, a good assembly for the sake of having a good assembly, but, uh, you know, those women can do that work that they're doing uh, for the glory of God and to increase that uh, evangelistic opportunity and, and all that kind of stuff. So there's a, there's a lot of work to be done, and certainly women have 
an important role in, in all of it. So yeah. I uh, will give you a quick story. So uh, we've been doing a Bible study here for a while. And whenever it first started, it was just me living here. And I had, I think I had two roommates. Yeah. 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 Went through a couple roommates. Eventually it was, near the end it was just me until uh, until right before me and Emma got married. And I had a clean house. <laughs> I, I also had curtain. I used beds like sheets. You had a jacket over the front door <laughs> <laughs> that acted as the front door curtain. I had bed sheets <laughs> over the windows. <laughs> And never thought to have any kind of food. <laughs> I had plenty of Dr. Pepper. And, what I mean, that was. I never dusted. I never thought to dust. I, I, There's I vacuum. chips between the seats of the couches. <laughs> <laughs> However, we were not allowed to wear our shoes on the carpet. <laughs> I was very passionate about the carpet. But all of this to say, Emma came in, and though she has not led a study per se, she has helped me with several, but though she has never led a study... She has made this place much more uh, a much more hospitable environment. And when people came in, they noticed. And, and I've had a lot of people talk to me about how much better it looks and how much more comfortable. That, not necessarily how much more comfortable they feel. I'm, and, I mean, I'm sure they do. But. Yeah, to add on to that, when we invite someone that isn't used to doing these things or someone who doesn't go to church, you know, like one of our friends from school or somebody who comes to our study and they see, you know, for one, how nice and welcoming everyone is, but also that increased hospitality, like there's food here, there's nice people here, everyone's in support here. That just adds to that, you know, them wanting to come back and them mm -hmm. seeing that. So yeah, there's there's stuff there that certainly is helping out. Yeah, and she she has, she doesn't think as much, sometimes I can tell, but I know that it has always impacted me whenever it, it's impacted me, and I live here, so I mean, <laughs> I, I see it all the time, and it's it's impacted me. It's it's made me realize how much better it can be. So, we just really want to encourage any young younger ladies, especially, because I feel like those sometimes are the ones who feel as though they aren't as important in, in the in the work of the church. We want to encourage them to know that you are important. To look for ways to. Be active with the church in whatever way it is. If you if you know somebody who needs teaching and you can teach them, do it. If you see an opportunity to further the case for the gospel and the case for God, do it. Because if 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 you don't do it, there may never be somebody else who does. And if you can do it, then do it. I, I think it's really important that that young women especially are encouraged to to pursue being a godly woman and pursue the edifying of the church because they're they are vital and for the elder women to teach the younger women you know reach out to them and do everything that you can to <clears throat> teach them because like in our congregation with that meeting there was an expression from a lot of the younger women that they wanted to be teached by the older women and that they hadn't had a lot of opportunities to do that so if you're um, a wiser woman with with knowledge to share then seek out to the younger women and share that with them we'll let the um, women decide which one of them are, are elder. We don't want to make that designation. <laughs> now we're, we're hesitant to make very many designations as far as this goes, but other than to say that old young old women and young women all are, are vital to, to the running of the church. So with uh, no further ado, this is Brian. This is Isaac. And this is Caleb, and we are the King's Advocate Podcast signing off. Mm -hmm.